Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. I invite you to sit back and listen as we turn to the Bible and our faith for our spiritual growth, as we learn how to better serve God and live responsibly in creation. Last night, I took a life. I did it without remorse and with malice aforethought, to use the legal term. I guess that makes me technically guilty of murder. I carefully planned my crime, purchased my weapon, and coldly stalked my victim. Looking back, I realized that I was acting out of a combination of fear and contempt, but that's no defense for murder. This morning, seeing the look of pain and anguish in the lifeless eyes of the corpse, I was flooded with guilt and remorse. At this point, before you contact the police, I should mention that my little murder victim was a mouse who yesterday I spied seeking entry to my house through a gap between my deck and brick patio. He wasn't even guilty of breaking or gnawing and entering yet. But I'd seen the criminal intent in his eyes, and I wasn't about to let that happen. Maybe I'm covered by the castle law, the one that allows a householder to kill someone trying to invade their home. Now, I suppose that you are feeling maybe a sense of relief or amusement at my confession. Who among us has not felt a murderous rage toward pestilent invaders like the rodent I successfully dispatched? Vermin are, by definition, contemptible, worthy of murder. To further my own confession, I used to be employed in pest control, and in the Day of Judgment, I suspect I will have a momentous body count to atone for. Once I was placing rat poison boxes at a California Buddhist monastery, and a monk approached me with a look of horror in his eyes and said, Hey man, haven't you ever heard of karma? Only in California, right? At least he was concerned about my immortal soul. Kidding aside, this isn't a laughing matter. I decided to make my confession to you because I really did experience a flash of empathy and a moment of shame as I bagged up my little critter and disposed of his body in my garbage pail. At stake here is the awareness that all life is sacred. All life. Every created being is due respect. Hear the words of Genesis. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth 
And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. It was good. Last night I robbed God's creation of a little bit of that goodness of life. And I'm told that God was watching. Remember, Jesus said that God numbers every sparrow. Speaking of which, I have plenty of those little critters out competing more desirable strong birds, songbirds at my feeders. I sometimes have to fight the urge of getting out my BB gun and dispatching a few of those flying mice. But I'll resist. I've racked up a b enough bad karma already to start killing God's precious sparrows. The Jayan religion takes respect for all forms of life to the logical extreme. One of the main tenets of Jainism is that all life is sacred. Jainists are strict vegetarians. They don't kill insects, and many giant monks and nuns wear fabric over their mouths to avoid breathing in insects or microbes, and they sweep ahead of themselves while walking to avoid treading on bugs. Giants not only talk the talk, but they also literally walk the walk. I, on the other hand, could rightly be accused of exaggeration and hypocrisy in my respect for life. While I do have a healthy respect for living things, I'm not a vegetarian or a member of PETA, though I respect people who are. I'm not a hunter, but I don't condemn or think badly of my friends who are. I'm in good company, though. I was at a talk by the Dalai Lama one time, and he expressed how he respected even the smallest form of life. Someone trying to trip him up, like the Pharisees tried to trip up Jesus, asked him, well, what would you do if you saw a mosquito making a blood withdrawal from your arm? He said, I would say, I respect you, Mr. Mosquito. And then he laughed and slapped his arm and said, bye-bye. You know, we can practice moderation in all things, including our respect for the sacredness of all life. We have to. Garrison Keeler told a story from his farming background uh, that he put in a Lake Wobegon story that really struck with me, stuck with me. Let me share it with you as he told it. It was the time of year in Lake Wobegon when people would slaughter, back when people did that. Raleigh and Eunice Hochstetter, I think, were the last in Lake Wobegon to do it. They kept pigs, and they'd slaughter them in the fall when the weather got cold and the meat would keep. I went out to see them slaughter hogs once when I was a kid, along with my cousin and my uncle, who was going to help Raleigh. Today, if you're going to slaughter an animal for meat, you send it to the locker plant and pay to have the guys there do it. And when you slaughter pigs, 
it takes away your appetite for pork for a while. Because the pigs let you know that they don't care for it. They don't care to be grabbed and dragged over to where the other pigs went and didn't come back. It was quite a thing for a kid to see. To see living flesh and the living insides of another creature. I expected to be disgusted by it, but I wasn't. I was fascinated. I got as close as I could, and I remember that my cousin and I got sort of carried away in the excitement of it all, and we went down to the pig pen, and we started throwing little stones at the pigs to watch them jump and squeal and run. And all of a sudden, I felt a big hand on my shoulder, and I was spun around, and my uncle's face was three inches away from mine. He said, if I ever see you do that again, I'll beat you till you can't stand up, you hear? Oh, we heard. I knew at the time that his anger had to do with the slaughter, that it was a ritual, and it was done as a ritual. It was done swiftly, and there was no foolishness, no joking around, very little conversation. People went about their jobs, men and women, knowing exactly what to do, and always with respect for the animals that would become our food. And our throwing stones at pigs violated this ceremony and this ritual which they went through. Raleigh was the last one to slaughter his own hogs. One year he had an accident. The knife slipped, and an animal that was only wounded got loose and ran across the yard before it fell. He never kept pigs after that. He didn't feel he was worthy of it. But that's all gone. Children growing up in Lake Wobegon will never have a chance to see it. It was a powerful experience. Life and death hung in the balance. A life in which people may do made their own, lived off the land, lived between the ground and God. It's lost, not only to this world, but also to memory. It is lost, the connection between us and the animals that died to become our food. You know, I visited a modern slaughterhouse once, and there was no ritual in the factory produced meat. The pigs are prodded, screaming into holding pens, where they're brutally hoisted on a chain by one back leg, where they hang convulsing after they're electrocuted by a two-pronged high-voltage probe. Then, mostly dead, they're swung onto an assembly line where their throats are slit and eventually carved up into manageable pieces. A living creature kind of God's good living creatures, is thus transformed and commodified into meat for our tables. As Garrison Keillor said, see this or even hear about it, and it will take away your taste for pork for a while. It may surprise you to learn that Adam and Eve and their immediate descendants were vegetarians. You know that? Going back to the Genesis story, Genesis story, which I cited earlier, God says, See, I have given you, he's talking to Adam and Eve, every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. 
you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Adam and Eve were appointed by God as custodians of creation. But they were dirt farmers, horticulturists, not livestock ranchers. They were given plants to eat, the animals they were to take care of. It appears that God intended human beings to continue on with their vegetarian diet, not until after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden for their disobedience. And God nearly calls this whole creation thing off by sending a great flood to destroy his creation, but finally relenting and saving a remnant of life, including Noah and his family. Only then are humans allowed to eat meat. As the flood subsides and the survivors emerge from the ark, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the air, on everything that creeps on the ground, and on all fish of the sea, because into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And just as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. This is a reasonable description of how we can view our predatory habits. Animals are afraid of us. We are the alpha predators. Now is that a blessing or a curse? Eating meat is ultimately a remnant of broken creation. Our carnivorous ways developed as a tragic necessity. Meat provided a ready source of protein. A lot of people would argue that it's time for us to mend our ways, that the survival of Earth and the people on it and the animals on it depends on a return to our Edenic vegetarian diets. That may be. Vegetarianism may be universally accepted or demanded in the future. But that's not my point. The purpose of my admittedly drawn-out story today is to bring into focus the importance of a renewed respect for life, not to convert you to vegetarianism. I fear that we are seeing the, the slippery slope effect at work. Now, I'm always leery, leery of people who talk about slippery slopes, but in this case, I think it's important. If a child amuses him or herself, herself watching the chaos that ensues in an anthill when they incinerate worker ants by focusing the sun's rays on them, with a magnifying glass like a giant space laser. How will they feel when they callously plink at chipmunks with a pellet gun? Will that just give them joy? Like the boys in Garrison Keillor's story, 
about the hog slaughter, they will never develop a respect for the animals that are ground up to make their McDonald's burgers. I say they, I mean we. When we are desensitized to the sacredness of life, it is all too easy for us to stand by silently as millions upon millions of people around the world die from the brutality of war and the ravages of famine and disease like so many ants in an anthill. We are less likely to respond with a real sense of urgency in helping the poor and developing nations obtain access to life-saving vaccines and medicines or food. It would drive me nuts to act like a giant and fret about every step I'm about to take because I might squish an ant. And just like I wouldn't be able to function if I felt guilty about the corpse of every nameless person in India being heaped on a funeral pyre, like the many mice that I exterminate. Maybe it's best just not to think about it. Let's just not go there. We can't do that. It's essential that we do think about it if we want to maintain any semblance of our humanity. The sophisticated populace of Nazi Germany chose not to think about the Jews who they deemed as vermin, who were exterminated by the millions, who they exterminated by the millions. The whole world, and we were a part of them, chose not to think about the absolute sacredness of life in 1944, 94, as the Hutus in Rwanda systemically slaughtered 800,000 of their Tutsi neighbors. We didn't intervene until it was too late. Interestingly, the Nazis and the Hutus referred to their victims as cockroaches. They could just as well have referred to them as mice. It is impossible to get our minds around the suffering that exists in the world today. As Joseph Stalin once said, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. So let's start small. We can consider the sacredness and the beauty of every life form we encounter every day. Take a moment and ponder the intricately veined wings of a dragonfly you see resting on a flower. Listen to the concert put on in the evening by a chorus of 17 years cicadas and watch in awe as legions of worker bees lap up water from your bird bath to take back to cool their hive, which is a buzz producing honey, honey whose sweetness we will enjoy. All life is sacred, vital. Ritualize it as a part of your own life. Ritualize it when you eat your food, 
every night in America, there is an unholy ritual being performed. Day after day, young people are taking the lives of other young people, seemingly with less concern than I would feel stepping on a cockroach. Before they ever get to the point of picking up and loading a gun, when they are found disrespecting the lowest form of life, maybe they need to feel that strong hand on their shoulder spinning them around and look face to face with Uncle Raleigh who says, Don't you ever do that again. You hear? There aren't enough Uncle Rallies around anymore. I have a final confession to make. Tonight, if I am successful, I will take another life. A box full of lethal traps sits on my garage workbench. After dark, I will smear peanut butter tasty peanut butter on the trip levers of two more traps and place them against the steps where the mice are gaining entrance to the area under my deck. But tonight I will not take my actions lightly, I promise. I know in advance I will feel remorse. So I will perform a sacred ritual and pray God, thank you for all the little living things which you have created. Never let me forget that all life is sacred. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. I am Pastor Jim Melvin. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you in perfect harmony. Shalom. Amen.